0: This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen, on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donation from people like you. Almost as if as we grow quieter, the place is growing quieter. child development psychology, there's um, a concept of good enough parenting. I think it's Winnicott was a theorist that came up with it. The notion is this, that um, no parents are perfect. They don't give their children the perfect attention, the perfect love, the perfect response to their needs. Um, instead, what they give is, you know, under you know usual circumstances, they give good enough parenting. You know, um, and that. Um, in its own in its own way, good enough is more helpful than perfect. You know, if your parents had been perfect, you would never have learned how to work with the frustrations of not getting exactly what you needed or what you wanted, you know. If they'd been perfectly patient With all your childish antics, you would never have experienced a response to your um, utterly self-centered endeavors. You'd never have got that feedback. Um, And in a way, our practice is like this, you know. We, we may consciously or unconsciously conjure up the ideal, you know, for ourselves or for others even. Uh, but we're not ideal; we're not perfect, yeah. and that, in a way, uh, this is helpful. You, you, you know, there was an experiment done once where they created a biosphere. They were trying to set up uh, an ecosystem that could be studied. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, but anyway, within this biosphere, which was actually like a big dome, they put trees, but because there was no wind blowing on the trees, the trees didn't have a certain kind of strength and literally they couldn't stand up on their own. They had to be propped up. You know, this, this way in which the imperfection, the challenges, are not simply a deficit, in a way they are an asset. Yeah. And of course, usually in our life, this, this registers more as a frustration a disappointment, a sense of failure. You know th- th- this this way in which we look and experience what's happening as not enough, not right. You know, whether it's you know ourself we're looking at or others. You know, and and how do we, you know, and then in that gap, in in that lacking, we yearn. We yearn for that gap to be closed. When will I ever have just the right whatever, job, circumstance, relationship, amount of money, health? and we have our frustration you know which can harden into uh, aversion okay i'm going to separate i'm never going to speak to that person again i'm never uh, whatever or i'm going to get angry yeah. And we all know how well anger resolves our difficulties. (laughs) Maybe next time it will. (laughs) And then we practice. And then hopefully in, in our practice, in our cultivation of attention to what's happening, we see more clearly and and we um, discover something about seeing what's going on rather than just living in the consequences of what's created by it. we we see the patterns of our own yearning you know how it comes up in fantasies how it comes up in well this isn't what i really want And then we have our moments of connection. And the moments of connection, they they go through what we're imposing, the yearning and the aversion. And what's happening is just itself. And we're relieved. Sometimes we're exalted we find the perfect solution to being alive. Um, You know, and then yesterday I was saying, (coughs) in a way we need to lower our standards, forget the perfect solution and relate to good enough. your practice be good enough to relate to who you are and how you are, and who other people are and how they are? Um, You know, in the ideal we can say, in awareness, in abiding in awareness, the moment's just itself and the yearning and aversion fall away. But if you step back and you look at the process of our practice, for most of us those are brief moments. For most of us there's a certain, um, most of the time, a certain not quite getting there. You know? Oh, You notice you were distracted you come back There's some presence and then you notice you were distracted again. And I was saying, oh, we'll try to create this heartbeat of awareness through body breath. And as we continue this with whatever degree of success, so-called success, whatever degree of contact um, you know, we're inclined to think, well, the amount of contact is the degree of success. But actually, the process of disconnecting and coming back is where a lot of the learning happens. You know, it's like the child and the parent. The, the the parent feels the child and their perfect bonding is broken and then they reconnect and the child is learning a valuable lesson my parent is not perfect and And in that, we shift from the yearning for perfection, however that might be, that will resolve all our deficits, to a willingness to be with what is, as it is. And the interesting thing about Sashin is That this whole process of being aware, getting distracted, coming back to awareness, it kind of loosens us up, it softens us up. And as we come towards the so-called closure, you know, we feel uh, looser, we feel softer. We don't have so much to prove, you know? Not because we've made some great accomplishment, but more, it's almost like despite ourselves we've come into a place of acceptance. Hmm. Now, the miscellaneous voices outside the zendo they're just part of the territory of Burb. We're just literally less inclined to think, they're disturbing my perfect environment. It's just, just part of the territory, like the crows like the dogs barking. And this acceptance and whatever flavor of um, non-attachment, whatever flavor of a certain kind of renunciation, you know, to some degree we've renounced the agendas that normally come through us. For me to be happy, this has to happen. For me to let go of my agitation, that needs to be pushed away. We come into a more moderate middle ground. And this is very helpful in the process of observance, insight, and integration. Hmm? Just watching, noticing what's going on for us. Hmm. Hmm, Thinking about that. Hmm. Responding with this... Response, and as we see it, and it doesn't um, stimulate the usual response. You know, the usual kind of reactive. It has to be like this. It has to not be like that. No. When we're not pulled off into those adamant statements. You know, those ways. You know usually the experience happens, there's perception, conception, emotion, psychological significance and the whole theater of our life is set up. Once again. And what's actually happening in a more elemental way is gone because this drama is now prevalent. As the non-attachments there, rather than my drama taking over, it appears more as it is without the drama. And when we see that, there's a different information. This person says or does something, brings up this strong emotion. This strong emotion defines the person. They are the beloved. They are the enemy. Actually, they're just a person having their own experience, (laughs) not simply an object in my theater. Um, So as the mind and the responses soften, this kind of shift, this kind of insight becomes available. And when the world we're creating is not so adamant the process of creation becomes more evident. Oh, look at my pattern for putting this together. And look at what I put together. And look at how what I put together affects me. So, we have this observation and insight. Sometimes the insight has um, a formulated thought, but sometimes the insight is emotional, physiological. But either way, then, uh, can we um, so can we absorb it in the moment? Can we let it register? Will we purify all our ingrained habits and never do that again? Hmm. Maybe. Probably not. Um, Can they be modified? Can they be less adamant and rigid? Yeah, they can be. Usually that's a process of enacting our habits, seeing our habits, enacting our habits, seeing our habits. After a few thousand times of that, they get a little bit softer, usually. Sometimes they drop away. Um. (coughs) But the good enough parenting comes in when um, without trying to perfect ourselves we discover how to work, we explore how to work with who we are. How do we integrate that insight into our being? As we sit here on the verge of re-entering our life. Whatever that means. Re-entering our world. As we leave this constructed world and enter another constructed world. As we leave this new normal and enter into a new version of our old normal how will we live our truth it's interesting because we can construct if we're so inclined all sorts of new admonitions for ourselves I will never do that again Most likely you will. (laughs) What if the admonition was when that comes up again try to be aware. Try to soften the adamancy of it, try not to be so easily hooked by the yearning and the aversion of it. What is it to enter a world that's filled with other humans just like me? following their path having their subjective experience creating their own <clears throat> dramas you, know? you know our relatedness to others is is what draws us out of the cocoon of self you know it's enticing for the world that we construct to mesmerize us, to be the whole story. But when we let somebody else have their story, it's like, oh, my story is not the whole story. Yeah. So in our sitting, this non-attachment, this renunciation, you know, We see our story, we see through our story. We have a patience with our story. We're willing to live with its energies, its habits. And we give that permission to others, too. Annoyingly, other people are just going to be themselves. (laughs) If only they would be the way we know they ought to be. But in the realm of Enough, if everybody behaved perfectly, I would be enticed into ra- rampant selfishness. <laughs> yeah. It's like the child literally needs to grow up, you know, it needs to discover. You don't always get what you want. (laughs) And you have to adjust, you know? You have to share with the other children. (laughs) And we enter this world With a kind of forgiveness, we learn to forgive our parents for not being perfect. My son said to me once, you know, when I was about eight, you were really mean the way you made me do my homework. was, uh, when he was saying that, I could see he felt incredibly mistreated and hurt. And thankfully, he learned to forgive me. The interesting thing was, I couldn't quite remember. I thought, hmm, sounds about right. I can imagine myself saying, do your homework. No, you can't watch TV. made sense to me, seemed like good parenting, for him it was aggressive, abusive, bullying, and thankfully he learned to forgive me. Discloser. closer, you know, now we could argue over well, who was right, you know, was that or was that not good parenting, you know, we can argue our worlds against each other, you know, who's right, well I'm right, that's good parenting. Children need to be disciplined. They need to do things they don't want to do, so when they go on in life, whatever. Children need to be loved. They need to be given unqualified, unconditional love. So they cultivate the Fortitude, resilience to meet life's travails. Hmm. The theories, the right and wrong of it, it's an endless discussion. How we're interacting, how we're living How we're meeting each other, how we're letting each other be persons, having a world, having opinions, having feelings. Can it be a mutual support rather than a competition? And in Buddhism, we call this the Bodhisattva Vow. You know? We're into the world committed to mutual support. You know? Are we always going to agree with each other? Well, hopefully not. <coughs> How will we Expand our thinking. You know. But this notion of can we sustain relatedness? You know. The parent fails the child, but they sustain relatedness and both learn something from it. How do we do that, you know, with our families, with our friends, with the whole world? I was thinking about ISIS, you know, the, the jihadist, Islamic jihadists. And I was thinking, I just don't get it. I just don't get how, in the name of goodness, you can perpetrate what seems to me senseless violence no nope. You know, each situation, each interaction, can we relate to it as a good student, having something to learn, rather than an affront to what we already know, the opinions we already have? So, in the enclosure of Sushin. um in a way an intense inner work that prepares us, that ripens us for entering the world, for continuing our journey. poem by uh, Stanley Kunich, an American poet. It's called, The Layers. I have walked through many lives, some of them my own. And I am not who I was, though some principles of beings, of being, abide, from which I struggle not to stay. Stray. From which I struggle not to stray. I have made a tribe of my own true affections. It's like to keep close. What's valuable? Your insights, the admonitions. No, you're not gonna relate perfectly to them. But in a way that's okay. Sometimes forgetting and remembering is its own gift. I have made a tribe of my own true affections, and my tribe is scattered. How shall the heart be reconciled in this feast of losses? I turn, I turn, Exalting somewhat, with my will intact to go wherever I need to go. And every stone on the road, precious to me. As we continue our journey, the basic practice stays the same. Pay attention. What's happening now? Pause, notice, experience. Every stone on the road, precious to me. In my darkest night when the moon is covered and I've roamed through wreckage, a voice directed me, live in the layers, not in the litter. See the context, see the process. Don't just get stuck on some way your mind fixes the details. Though I lack the art to decipher it, no doubt the next chapter in my book of transformations is already written. I'm not done with my changes. finder of San Francisco Zen Center, you know, Suzuki Roshi. He called it Beginner's Mind. We're always at the beginning. We're always at the beginning of our journey. There was someone at the San Francisco Zen Center and he died when he was 96, Lou Hartman. Three weeks before he died, he said to me, "Um, I know I don't have long to live. What should I focus on in my practice? And then the day before he died, he said to me, "Um, Now it's not at all clear to me what's a dream conjured up by my mind and what's happening in the physical here and now. How do I practice with that? That's what Lou asked the day before he died, the afternoon before he died the next morning. So we're always at the beginning. What's happening and what is it to practice with it? What is it to stay true to the insights that have occurred? What is it to just not fall into the dream of, I should have what I want, and I should avoid what I don't want? What is it to not be caught in the cocoon of self, but to let everybody be a person, a being? to interact with. A blessing to draw us out of our own selfishness, our own fixed mind and motions. And, of course, no words we can put on that, no ideas we can put on that, ...can substitute for living it. So in these waning hours of Sashin, to watch... ...the activity that arises in your being. Is it rushing forth something is it dreading something does it call forth an equal amount mind of well this will be fantastic and this will be terrible or does it just focus on the terrible or does it say no 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 I will not think of that at all only this How can there be a disposition where it's all a teaching? Okay. Oh, look at that. Look what it stirs up. As Stanley Kuhnitz says, I am not done with my transformations. Or as Lou Hartman says I don't have long to live what should I focus on in my practice thank you